Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. It's a pleasure to be able to worship with you all again. It uh, Somehow the days and the weeks roll on and it seems like it's been a good while since we've been here, although I don't think, I think it's been about five weeks or maybe six. I didn't go back and look. This morning I'd like to turn to and read some familiar accounts from the Old Testament. You can turn to 1 Samuel first, uh, chapter 24. What we're going to look at this morning is probably for all of us or most of us fairly familiar, but it's some uh, stories that have impressed me over the years. And uh, again, recently as I read over this in my Bible reading, I was very impressed. So for a little background before we go into the script, reading the Scripture, this is set in a time where Saul was king over Israel. Uh, previously, Israel had not had a king, and they had a desire to be like the nations around them, and they, they asked for a king. And God said to Samuel, his prophet, he said, give them what they ask for. Give them a king. And so, at the Lord's direction, Samuel anointed Saul as king. And at that time, Saul seemed to have a very humble heart, a servant's heart, a desire to do the Lord's will. But somehow that changed. And you know, we talk about power corrupting people. And I don't know if that's what it was uh, or what happened. But as time went on, Saul disobeyed the Lord's direct command various times. And when he disobeyed the Lord's direct command to destroy all of the Amalekites and all of their possessions, God sent word to Saul through Samuel that he was rejecting Saul and his family as king. And that he was going to choose out and anoint another man to take his place. A man that would obey. A man that was after God's own heart. And so David was the man who was to be anointed as the next king. So, uh, so Samuel searched out David the Lord's guiding, with the Lord's guiding, and anointed him as king. And have you ever thought about what it was like for, for David? I, I'm not sure what his age was, but I'm guessing probably somewhere in the late teens to early 20s maybe when he was anointed by Samuel as the next king. Can you imagine what it would be like at that age to be anointed king and yet there was an existing king reigning? And so our imaginations don't have to run very far until we realize that there's potential here for conflict. And I don't think that Saul knew and understood immediately what was going on, but he came to the point where he knew and he recognized that God had chosen David to be the next king. And so it became Saul's desire, his, his express motive 
for his life. His his driving force to his life became became the the to annihilate David, to get rid of David, because he viewed David as a threat. And so we have this section in, in scripture where David is running from Saul, and Saul is relentlessly pursuing him. Whenever he hears word of where David is, he goes out in pursuit of him to take his life. <coughs> Seems that Saul was obsessed with this idea. And it seems, maybe I'm reading too much between the lines, but I, it seems like to me that the nation probably actually suffered because of Saul's obsession <coughs> that he was neglecting the more important things of guiding and ruling the nation. So here's where we're, here's where we're at in this setting. And so I would like to read now from, I would like to start in 1 Samuel, actually uh, chapter 23, verse 29, and read through 24, verse 15. And David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. And that's, that's David running from Saul. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of, of Engedi, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe, privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And David rose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into my hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put... Put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see ye the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither an, neither evil nor transgression in mine heart, in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou, hast, thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After who dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. 
So here we have an instance where Saul had heard where David was and he came out in pursuit. It says here that he was in the strongholds of Engedi. And that is an area where there is numerous caves. And I found it interesting uh, doing a little research that they say that there is a cave there that has been used for sheltering people. It's been used for uh, a sheepfold. But it's large enough that, if I remember correctly, they said that you could have up to, I think, 4,000 people in it. It was so large. Apparently numerous kind of dome-shaped rooms and then side branches, two openings into the cave. And it's thought that it's possible that that is where this took place in that cave. And so David and his men were hiding out of fear for their lives because they were being pursued. Saul, not knowing that they were there, came into the cave uh, to, to rest, sleep possibly these caves by the way were are dry caves it's you know we think of caves around here as you go down in a cave and you're going to come out muddy but uh, these were dry caves and you can imagine david and his men back in a little side chamber somewhere maybe and saul comes in his eyes were used to the light david and his men had been there their eyes were used to the dark and they saw what was happening, and David's men said, here is your opportunity. Here is your chance to end this constant threat to our lives. Here is your opportunity to get rid of the man that God said, I am rejecting as, as king. Here is the day that you can ensure that you, David, will reign over Israel. It just seemed like the natural thing for David to, to do, to take this opportunity to avenge himself, to end the cat and mouse game that Saul had been playing with him. But David, rather than killing Saul, he simply cut off a piece of Saul's robe. And I, I just marvel at that, how he could do that without gaining Saul's attention but I believe God had a hand in it. But he used it to demonstrate to Saul that, that even though God delivered you into my hand, I am not going to raise my hand against you. Now turn over to chapter 26. I'd like to read the first 12 verses here. Another similar account. And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekeliah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And by the way, talk about being outnumbered. I think the men with David was something like five or 600. So uh, they were significantly outnumbered. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakaliah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came into him, after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. 
And Abner, son of Ner, the captain of his hosts, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched around about him. Then answered David and said unto Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay around about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth, at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that it is, as it is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they got them away. And no man saw it, nor knew it, neither awakened, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had, was fallen upon them. So again, a similar situation where Saul is pursuing David, and he comes out and he camps, and David comes sneaking up, checking on what's going on here, and, and he, he says, I need a brave man, or he'll go down there tonight. And... I, I'm not that brave. I wouldn't have been one of those men. But he went down in the middle of the night while they were sleeping and walked into the camp. And there was David and Abishai standing there looking at King Saul sleeping right beside of them. Again, an opportunity for, Saul, for, for David to avenge himself of this man who is relentlessly pursuing him. And he refused to take it. Rather, he spared the life of his enemy. I've been intrigued with these two accounts many times. And like I said, I just read these within the last couple weeks again. And was impressed again. And there's some... there's. There's some real lessons in these stories for us today. And I'd like to, uh, to look at a, a couple of lessons that we can learn from this. From David refusing to take Saul's life. It would have seemed natural for David to have avenged himself. Even just. Who could have blamed him? But both of these times, David refused to take that, to make that move, to take that step. And I believe that we observe in this that David had the utmost respect, not for Saul, but for the man who God had anointed as king. Yes, David knew that God had rejected Saul. David knew that he himself had been chosen by God to replace Saul. Yet David refused to be the one that set in motion 
that transfer of the kingdom from Saul to himself. He realized that it was in God's hands. So the first lesson that I want us to consider is that God still honors those who respect the authorities that God has placed in their lives. We're told in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power of God, excuse me, but there, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist, catch this, they that resist shall receive into themselves damnation. And I believe that, that those verses express the heart of David in, the, in these two situations. God has set in place authorities. He has set in place people in different, different positions of authority over us in different ways. <clears throat> And unfortunately, often those authorities don't exemplify godly character. They don't often follow His ways. They may not always use good judgment. But it's not up to us to decide to dishonor them. It's not up to us to decide to disobey. But rather, it's up to God to deal with them. Often we can feel justified in disobedience or in disrespect because an authority over us is not acting in line with God's commands. Or maybe that authority makes us feel disrespected. Or we see an abuse of power or we see poor judgment. And our natural human response is disrespect and disobedience. But I want us to consider David's response. David had every reason to look at Saul and say that Saul is so out of line, somebody needs to deal with that man. Saul was trying to murder David, a violation of the sixth commandment. Saul was, like I said, was likely neglecting his duty as king as he relentlessly pursued David to take his life. God had rejected King Saul. He said, you, I'm rejecting you as king. So, you know, there's, is there any reason to, re, to, to respect a man that God says, I'm rejecting as king? So David had all the reasons for disrespect. He had all the reasons for disobedience, all the reasons for taking Saul's life, yet he refused. He took the high road. He had a high regard for Saul because of his position as the Lord's anointed. He recognized that it was God who had chosen Saul, and it needed to be God who chose to remove Saul, not David. He recognized that the timing needed to be left in God's hands. 
I'm impressed with, with that level of respect this, that David had. And I believe that God honored David for that respect. And I believe that He will honor us as well today as we show respect for the authorities in our lives. That includes those in the government, the church, the school, the home, the workplace. How quickly you and I develop attitudes of disrespect and disobedience. I know, I've been there. I struggle with that at times. We do it when we perceive inconsistencies or something that you know, just doesn't go, go over right with us. We fail to have the level of respect that David showed here. It's something we need to guard against in our lives. And you know, disrespect has a tendency to grow. I can about guarantee you that if you have a level of disrespect in your life for, for one authority in your life, you likely are going to build disrespect for other authorities as well when they do something that you feel is not in line with how you feel it should be done. And I've been disappointed with the amount of disrespect I've heard from professing Christian people, and dare I say, from our own conservative Anabaptist people against authorities that are over them. And I say that we do well to examine our attitudes. And we need to seek God's help and His forgiveness if we're struggling with attitudes of disrespect. And I'll just stick my neck out a little bit. But when we get involved in our minds too deeply in the political realm, I can guarantee you, you will likely struggle with attitudes of disrespect towards the, author uh, towards the government authorities that are over us. Because whether you realize it or not, our government is full of corruption. And there are all kinds of reasons to have attitudes of disrespect. We need to take a lesson from David. Just because there are reasons that we in our human thinking can come up with, with reasons why we should, should, have, should be disrespectful. God clearly says in His Word that we are to honor and respect people in authority. Another lesson for us from these accounts is the lesson to allow God to work things out in His way and in His timing. David could have easily seen these two events as this is God's hand at work giving me the opportunity to secure the kingdom from Saul into my hands. But instead, David committed it to God's timing. When David and Abishai stood there beside of, of Saul as he slept, Abishai said, let me strike him. I'll strike him with the spear and I want to do it so quickly and surely it's going to be one stroke and it's done. And David said, no. The Lord's going to take care of that. 
Either his day is going to come to die, he'll perish in battle, or, or something. God is going to take care of that. David was committed to God's timing. He was determined not to take it into his own hands. And as I recently read this account, I had to just stop and ponder a little. What would have happened that night if David had said, yes, Abishai, strike him? Undoubtedly, Saul's men would have risen up. Those 3,000 men would have risen up and fought David's five or 600 men. And there would have been a, a prolonged struggle between David and the kingdom of Saul. And in the end, there was a period of struggle after Saul's death as his son Ishbosheth was set up as king for a time. But when it was all said and done, David's hands were free of bloodshed from, from killing a, an innocent man. And also, we read about some of the other kings that followed after David. And again and again, some of these some of these men who were evil men, wicked men, were assassinated. Some of them only, only reigned for days, weeks, months, or a few short years. And they were assassinated. Can you imagine the degree of respect that David's circle of, of men had for him because of how, how highly he valued the Lord's anointed. I dare say that probably none of his men would have ever considered laying a hand on David, even if they disliked him. Because David set the bar extremely high by not taking things into his own hands. How often for you and I would things work out better if we would simply leave the timing up to the Lord? If we would just commit it to the Lord. You know, we face an injustice. We face a difficult circumstance. We face some, some issue that we, we think that we see clearly and we think we see the way out. And we take it. And we end up making a mess of things. Or maybe we take our way and to take our way to gain what we think is justice, we end up violating some of God's principles, some of God's standards. And you know, that's where David was. He could have taken Saul's life, but he would have been violating God's principles if he had done that. He would have been a murderer. He would have also been showing disrespect for the authority that God had placed over him. So I think that maybe we need to learn to be quicker to, like David, place things in God's hands, trusting Him to work out the details on His timing and not on our own. We need to make sure that the solution that, <clears throat> that we see for a problem doesn't violate any of God's standards. And if it does, we need to be content to be like David and take the high road and say it's in God's hands. I'm not moving forward with this 
on my own power. Another lesson that I think comes across pretty clearly is to not give in to peer pressure. In both of these instances, David was strongly encouraged by his men to take action, to take Saul's life. And I'm sure that David's decision both times was not popular with his men. But David was willing to do what was right, no matter the amount of pressure that he received from his men. Can you imagine the criticism that David received for taking that sharp knife, dagger, whatever he had in his hand, and creeping up to Saul and just simply cutting off the corner of his robe and coming back to his men with this piece of cloth? Can you imagine the criticism he faced when they came back and Abishai told the story that Saul was there sleeping and we stood right beside of him. And there was a spear and I could have taken his life right there. I suspect that of David's five or six hundred men, most if not all of them were critical of the decisions that David made. I'm sure they couldn't understand why he refused to do what he did, or refused to take Saul's life. But David was determined to do what was right, not to give in to popular opinion, not to give in to the pressure that he faced. He knew what pleased God, and he was going to do it no matter the cost. No matter the cost, no matter the pressure, David stood on the principles of honoring the Lord's anointed. He stood on the principle of leaving the timing of Saul's death and of David receiving the kingdom in God's hands. And I firmly believe that that David was blessed tremendously because of the stand that he took. And as we follow David's example... I believe that we will be blessed as well. You know, in the short term, David could have been a hero with his men if he had taken Saul's life. But I firmly believe that in the long run, the blessing was far greater because he followed God's way. David was looking for God's approval, not man's approval. David had a long-term view of the situation, not a short-term view of here's the quick, easy solution. We need to do the same. We need to keep our focus on God's way and be content to allow Him to work, even when things move more slowly than what we think they should, even when things aren't maybe addressed that we think need addressed. God has a way of working in these situations. So my challenge for us today is that we would determine to be like David in our respect for those in authority over us and in our willingness to wait on God and to wait on His timing in the circumstances of our lives. So God bless you as you do that, as you follow David's example.
in your life.